Hey everyone, welcome back to Upstate Anecdotes, the Shy Institute for Sustainable Communities podcast. My name's Caroline Singleton. As we've learned through research and using the donut model as a basis, sustainability means so many things. Housing, water, food, health, education, political voice, and more. I wanted to learn more about organizations who attempt to tackle more than one issue at a time, so I reached out to Susan France. Is it recording? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'll start over. I'm Susan France. I am the food security director with LiveWell Greenville. LiveWell is an organization who advocates for and searches for ways to improve health in Greenville through healthy food and active lifestyles. As you'll learn, LiveWell has a robust approach to food security. And while their main goal is active and healthy lifestyles, they make a real effort to address many of the things that the donut encompasses because of the ripple effect that their work has. Susan has been with LiveWell for about four years, but she didn't jump straight into the food assistance space. I started out as uh, an elementary school teacher right out of college. Mm -hmm. I worked as a first and second grade teacher in Baltimore for a few years and then one year in DC. And I love teaching, I love the kids. One of my favorite things that I did as a teacher was start a garden and do a little gardening club with my kids in Baltimore. And that's kind of how I discovered kind of the food inequities Mm -hmm. in our country and in in our world um, because so many of the kids not only weren't exposed to some of the fruits and vegetables that were just something that I ate all the time growing up, but they were just up against so much. And food is like the thing that brings community together. And I have always been very passionate about working towards food security and food justice. Mm-hmm. And although I love teaching the um, like stress of having to be like so high energy and with kids all day long was uh, just not a fit for me. And so I was excited to move into a space where I could combine my passion with food and, you know, making the world a better place for yeah. our our kids and communities. And mm. so that's kind of how I transitioned into, mm. from teaching into the food yeah. justice, food systems world. Since joining LiveWell, Susan and the group have defined exactly what their goals are. In fact, during the interview, she was holding a paper with those goals on them. So I see you have your sheet there. So will you tell me a little bit about... I guess live well in general and like the mission that you guys have, maybe some of the programs. Sure. So Live Well Greenville is a coalition. We are made up of over 250 partners, organizations, um, individuals, schools, churches, healthcare, businesses across all of Greenville County. Um, We were started in, uh, I think it was like 11 years ago. And our mission is to increase access to healthy food and opportunities for physical activity and the way that we do that is by convening community members and partners to impact policies systems and environmental changes and so a lot of times when we tell people our mission um they're like okay great tell me what to, what i should eat to be healthier where like 
give me give me a cooking class or a, a yoga class or whatever. We don't do those direct programs. Um, we're all about policies, systems, and environmental changes. So looking at our environment and our policies and our structures and identifying changes that can be made for long-term systemic change. The way LiveWell goes about making change in our local environment, policies, and systems is through what Susan likes to call their three buckets. The first, amplifying community power. We know that those who are closest to the problem and these closest to these structural inequities should have the power and the voice to say what changes need to be made. Mm -hmm. And so we're not about going into communities and telling them what they need. We're about listening and amplifying voices and shifting power to communities who want to make changes for their community and in their community. And so we are actively working to engage with community members, hear from community members, you know, provide, provide capacity building opportunities, um, whatever is needed to really amplify the voices of those closest to the problems of food insecurity and other structural inequities that lead to health disparities. Mm -hmm. The second bucket is about advocating for health and equity. For LiveWell, it's more than just access to healthy food. It encompasses so much more. Although food security and access to physical activity is kind of our, our wheelhouse, we partner strongly with the Greenville Homeless Alliance and the Greenville Housing Fund and Greenville Connects, which is a advocacy organization working to improve transportation infrastructure in Greenville. Because transportation, affordable housing, these are all things in the built environment that really impact food insecurity and long-term impact the health and wellness of a community. The third and final bucket is key to LiveWell's work as a coalition. It's advancing community collaboration. We're all about looking for connections that can be made or opportunities to bring people together to make these changes in our community. Mm-hmm. So it's this is a coalition. Live Well Greenville is not the six staff that are employed here. We are just the behind the scenes uh, kind of facilitators and connection makers, but the people that really make it happen are all of our many partners who come to the table and bring their skills and their ideas and perspectives on how we make these changes together. What does uh, your work at LiveWell involve specifically? So my work is all about coordination of collaboration across the food system. So about two and a half years ago, um, kind of right before COVID started, we brought together some food assistance providers who wanted to start being more intentional intentional (laughs) about collaboration to ensure that we're having the biggest impact Mm -hmm. that we can to address food insecurity in our community. 
And so there were a few meetings that happened right before COVID. And then all of a sudden with COVID, all, it was a huge, such a huge need that we all be coll- collaborating and in conversation because so much was changing. There was so much more need. There was, it was just a scary time. No one knew what was going on. I mean, in every space, not just the food security space. But um, all that to say, I coordinate the... Greenville County Food Security Coalition, which is a coalition within Livewell Greenville, um, Livewell Greenville's coalition, and we um, are working to ensure that everyone has access to affordable, culturally appropriate, healthy food. And we're also working to ensure that people are treated with dignity, Mm -hmm. especially in times of crisis. No one wants to go to a food pantry and feel like they're less than human. And so there is a lot we can do as a community and as a food assistance network to ensure that people are treated with dignity, given what they need at a a time of need, and also supported in ways that can help them navigate the system and get out of a situation of food insecurity. Yeah, I think the dignity part for me is like so key because part of it is like, yes, you are fulfilling a need of someone who's hungry and someone who needs food. But at the same time, why should they have to sacrifice their personal uh, beliefs and cultural like yeah. needs for that? Yeah. And one of the things I loved about going back to the Hispanic community in Greenville during COVID I feel like the Hispanic community suffered disproportionately, especially those who could not access public benefits Mm -hmm. due to documentation status or whatever, or just fear of accessing public benefits because of kind of the political discourse. And the Hispanic Alliance organized a periodic uh, food distribution um, program called Canasta Basica, which means like basically like the basic staples so what they did is they partnered with a not just one but a few uh hispanic grocery stores in the community so that was awesome because it was supporting a hispanic business owner and what what they did is um they had scheduled dates where they were doing these food distributions they would uh set up outside of the grocery store with like a little tent They'd have a little bag of lo basico, right? Like the basic staples, um, you know, your oils, your rice, beans, um, things like that. And then on top of that, they were given a, a gift card to supplement because to go into that grocery store and purchase what they want or need for their family. So what that did is it not only gave them the choice of, you know, purchasing what they want and need for their family, but also when a parent walks up and gets a bag of food with their children there, their children are seeing their parent having to, you know, take charity or whatever you want to call it, and there's something so much more dignified about just giving that family a gift card so they can go in with their children and their children can see them purchase food just like any other family. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that program was really awesome. Unfortunately, with funding, it um, it's not still going. But we 
you know, that was a great model. And so we're sharing that, you know, that story and that example with other food pantries and food assistance providers in the area just so that, um, you know, we can see those examples of dignity and work to kind of emulate those models. That's so great. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that a lot because I've always thought, like whether I'm traveling abroad or a different city, that food is like the way that you learn about someone's culture. Yeah. And maybe a lot of times it's hard for people to get that culturally appropriate food, like I mentioned in my definition, mm-hmm. because what you're able to afford is just processed, canned things, like goods like that. So yeah. I think that's important, bringing that healthy aspect back to yeah and the cultural and when I was so when I was an undergrad I I traveled abroad a lot and like for a couple years after undergrad um I traveled a lot around Central and South America and that was one of the most amazing experiences especially experiencing the food and just you know sitting down and eating sharing a meal with you know people that were from a completely different culture but you know we were kind of brought together around a table and um shared so many wonderful things and it was just amazing and then when I came back to the U.S. and started my career I just yeah I always had in the back of my mind like I want to do something around food Mm. (laughs) so um yeah and then when I was working at the food trust in Philadelphia I was a um, nutrition educator, and so I did similar to, um, uh, so every state in the country has a SNAP-Ed program, SNAP Mm -hmm. Education, and so the SNAP-Ed program in Philadelphia was run by the Food Trust. Um, It's a federally funded program, but most states have agencies or nonprofits that run them. In South Carolina, it's Clemson, SNAP-Ed, there's... USC SNAP-Ed and in um, the Columbia area and then I think the Low Country Food Bank runs it in like the kind of coastal part of the state but anyway I was a SNAP educator in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and I did uh, cooking classes with kids and adults so I went into school classrooms after school programs and did cooking classes with kids And then I did cooking classes with adults in different community centers, uh, health clinics, just a bunch of different settings. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite groups that I did it with was, um, it was at this place in uh, Norristown, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia called Sicate, which was a community center for the Hispanic community in that, um, in that area of Philly, of outside of Philly, uh, most most of the families were from Mexico, and it was all women that came to the class, and, um, you know, my Spanish is all right, but uh, there were definitely times where I couldn't think of the word, so we were, we were kind of teaching each other, and really, so I kind of introduced them to some foods that they hadn't tried before because it wasn't part of their culture, you know. We made like a tofu scramble, um, things like that. But then they also came and brought foods that they mm-hmm. um, that are from their culture and taught me how to cook those. So it was it was just a beautiful group, um, and I just loved sharing, you know, with them all coming together around food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we created a community garden at that community center together. It was like a huge, uh, in the back alley, it was like an urban area, like a junk heap. And so the whole community came together, cleared out all the space, put in this beautiful garden with all this art, painted raised beds. And um, a lot of the families that live in that community come from agricultural backgrounds in Mexico. And so they were like, oh my gosh, like, yes, get me, get me in the dirt. Um, <laughs> let me... Let me grow grow the things that I used to grow um, back home. And uh, I remember this one time uh, we were out at a farmer's market. You know, people were looking at the produce, and then this one woman um, was looking at this kind of raised bed on the sidewalk that was just kind of overgrown and weedy. And I noticed that she was um, picking some of the weeds and putting them in a bag, and I was like, what are you doing? You know, those are weeds. Like, those aren't, that's not food. And she was like, yes, it is. It's, um, it was, so it was purslane. I can't remember the name of it in Spanish. But anyway, in English, it's purslane. It's a, um, it's an edible weed that is really common in, in her community in Mexico that they would cook with and make this, like, really good green salsa, salsa verde. I just thought it was so cool. Like, there's just so much we can learn about each other's food culture, mm-hmm. and I just yeah really enjoy that. That's a great example of don't judge a book by its cover type of thing. Yeah. And also, we have such different cultures, it's hard sometimes to like imagine that a weed in an overgrown raised bed is someone else's like favorite food in the world right. a lot of times. Yeah. And then you realize, well, maybe we can just let the weeds grow, and they can be used and eaten yeah. and things like that. So that's really cool. LiveWell itself also has a number of programs. One of the two current work groups that LiveWell's Food Security Coalition has focuses on health food and culturally appropriate food in every neighborhood in Greenville County. The other works on emergency food systems. They search for ways to fill the gaps, helping those who fall through the cracks within that food assistance system. So the emergency food system work group, we really started out, the biggest need that everyone identified to start out with was to better understand where the needs are. And so that's when we connected with Catherine and Sam and Mike Wininski, mm-hmm. Dr. Wininski, at the Shy Institute. Sam Hayes, Catherine Libert, and Mike Wininski are actually my supervisors for the podcast. They also do incredible work in and around Greenville, such as helping create the tool that Susan and her team use daily. To learn more about it, check out the show notes where I've provided some links. They helped us create a food insecurity index map that helped us look at the needs at the census tract level. Um, So that has been an incredibly helpful tool. I'm pretty sure I look at it every day (laughs) in my work, um, and I know all of our partners use it as well, um, to just to help us figure out where the needs are and whether the resources are being directed to the the correct areas of Greenville County to meet those needs. Like Susan mentioned, LiveWell has over 250 partners. She also emphasized the importance of community collaboration. From what I can imagine, being a part of LiveWell is like having a friendly neighbor lend a helping hand whenever you need something. And if they don't know how to help you, you can sure bet that they know someone who can. We have a community action plan for each work group that kind of lays out our goals, and it is a living, breathing document. It's a Google Doc so that we can always be shifting and changing it in real time. Um, So at the moment, what we're working on is 
one to look at the infrastructure across food pantries to see where we can leverage resources and make connections to help some of the food pantries that have needs like the need for cold storage refrigeration or like a vehicle to um, so that they would be able to serve more people so we're always looking out for grants and funding opportunities Mm -hmm. to help meet those needs however an impactful new endeavor that susan was particularly excited about was the food equity action board lovingly called the feeb by libwell This last cohort was made up of 14 Greenville County residents with lived experience with food insecurity who are driving the work of the Food Security Coalition. So like I mentioned before, our purpose is to amplify community voices and amplify community power. And so what that group of residents did was they created a set of six policy recommendations that we refer back to as a food security coalition when we're developing our community action plan. So that dignity piece that we talked about earlier, that's really that was very important to the members of the FEB. And so we are actively working on developing ways that we can increase awareness of the need for dignity and you know sharing models of what that can look like in the food assistance space Um, transportation was also a huge um, priority from the FEB and and from you know so many community members that that we talked to transportation is just a struggle in Greenville County and so we've been looking into solutions we know that having more funding for GreenLink is you know is great and long term hopefully we'll get to where we need to be but that's going to be far in the future so we need something short term because when it takes a mother an hour and a half one way to get to a food bank and then an hour and a half back that's three hours of their day when they're already work you know might be working three jobs and raising their children that's unacceptable and we need to do better as a community and so we're looking into ways that we can be creative and figure out how to address these transportation barriers especially to get to and from grocery stores and food pantries Mm. So this might be a broad question, but to the best of your knowledge, what do you think the state of food security is in Greenville at this moment? It's really hard to say like exactly Mm -hmm. um, what the state of food security is right now. However, so Feeding America, which is a national organization, they put out data every few years um, predicting or estimating food insecurity um, county by county. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. It's yes. called Map the Meal Gap. It's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. a map. So they have 2019 data, and they did have some data predicting um, what it looks like post-COVID, but they recently took it down because for whatever reason they determined it to be inaccurate. Interesting. So I don't know. But so pre-COVID, food insecurity was at about, I don't remember off the top of my head, something like 45 thousand of our neighbors are experiencing food insecurity that's i think nine percent ish of the Mm -hmm. county and when you look at children it was 
over 10,000 children. Also, I think around 9%. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but so many of the families, this is another thing on the, the Map the Meal Gap uh, website, they show data around program eligibility for federal nutrition programs like SNAP, WIC, and uh, school meals. And so many of our families that are experiencing food insecurity do not even qualify for those. And so they're left with very little Mm. options. And with rising food and gas costs, Susan says that the post-COVID situation is most likely much worse. Luckily, the federal government stepped in, but that's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Everything eats into the food budget, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's got to be worse for people. Um, and at the moment, during COVID, if you did have SNAP, the government had a waiver, the federal government had a waiver making it so that you would get the maximum allotment. So you were getting a little bit, or a little or a lot more than than you were pre-COVID, but that's temporary. It's going to go away. They keep uh, extending the deadline for when it goes away, mm-hmm. and every time we get close to the deadline, we're freaking out because it's going to drop people's food budget mm-hmm. so significantly when those that emergency allotment goes away. Mm-hmm. And it's not just families' personal source of food. It's schools, too. A lot of families and parents rely on the school meals that feed their kids. And then the other thing with COVID is that the USDA issued a waiver that made school meals universally free for the last two years, which is great. But that's going away this coming school year. And so it's going back to people having to apply to get free and reduced price meals, unless you're at certain schools that under the community eligibility provision have free meals across the whole school. Um, there, there's a list of, I think, 20 or so schools within the district, mm-hmm. um, the Title I schools that have that. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not a great situation. And especially going into this next school year with the universal school meals going away. It's concerning. I know especially families that aren't eligible for school meals or who don't feel comfortable applying because of their immigration status or fear of, you know, their families being split up, that they're going back to not having access to those school meals, and it's gonna really impact a lot of families. School meals is another area that LiveWell tackles. They coordinate a weekend food backpack program across Greenville County Schools. And so a weekend food backpack program is, the purpose of it is to supplement the food that a child has over the weekend, especially those who rely heavily on school meals during the week because they don't have access to those meals on the weekend. And so we help coordinate with Greenville County Schools. There are so many great um, church partners and organizations that do weekend food backpack programs, but Greenville County Schools is huge. There's over 100 schools, so there are bound to be, be gaps. And so we work to fill those gaps by connecting church partners with with the schools that have needs mm-hmm. so that they can partner and support those, those students with weekend food. 
Everything Susan has mentioned about LiveWell really points towards their passion for tapping into every aspect of the systems we have set up that can be fixed to help afford people a better quality of life. So with this holistic view, of course I had to introduce Susan to the donut model. There's so much that goes into y'all's work and also social justice in general, establishing food security. Part of the way we look at it, we the Shy Institute, is the donut model of economics. And I know everyone listening right now is probably a pro on the donut, but in case you need a refresher, the inside of the donut are societal shortcomings such as poverty, hunger, and a lack of political voice. Outside the donut is where we push the planetary boundaries too far and exploit resources. These are things such as climate change, air pollution, and biodiversity loss. Between these social and planetary boundaries is a space that is ecologically safe and socially just. Okay, back to the conversation. It's really interesting, and That's I really cool. like this model because it goes into everything. Can I look at it more closely? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes into everything that we're talking about, and with my definition that I'm working on, sustainable food justice, I find myself looking at this model and seeing that a lot of people's work encompasses so many of these things, whether that be health, politics, food, economics, stuff like that. So when you think of sustainability, what comes to mind? Because a lot of people are assuming that sustainability is turning off the lights and using less water. And and here we have this model that's saying it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, we use the word sustainability a lot in our work, but it means something different than the kind of environmental definition of it. Sustainability is, you know, structural. It's ensuring that whatever structures and systems we have in place are in place long term and are in place long term in a way that are equitable and we just you know we all share this earth and we all share this planet earth and our world would be sustainable if everyone had access to what they need to live a healthy you know healthy life and we did it in such a way that we could keep our earth <laughs> intact in the way that we need it to survive mm-hmm. yeah i feel like the food like the food security the definition of sustainability from a food security perspective and from an environmental perspective they're so intertwined Mm -hmm. but we don't always see it that way i think that's part of the goal with this podcast is to help people recognize that they are intertwined yeah because you know like i said people a lot of times hear the word sustainability they don't really know what it means they kind of are like compost and do all these things and think of it environmentally but I think of it also in a sustainable communities way Mm -hmm. where you're trying to help people get what they need for the long term but you really can't have one without the other because with the donut model if you're helping people achieve these goals long term you might be tapping into resources that could be depleted Mm -hmm. years down the line and that's the reality that we're facing right now at this moment so I guess you just said that you guys don't really think of the environmental aspect a lot. And I understand that because it totally makes sense. When you're working at a nonprofit, your goal is to just help people fulfill the need in the community. And a lot of times 
it gets overlooked. But I would argue that hopefully down the line soon we're able to kind of connect those two, especially in food security, considering the large amount of food waste that goes into landfills and things like that. I know you've explained that LiveWell is working towards making communities more sustainable in the ways that you guys are doing right now. Do you think, is there anything that LiveWell could be doing, in your opinion, to uh, whether it's environmentally or in the way that you guys view sustainability? Oh my gosh, there's so much we could be doing. Um, oh, that's a hard question. Or I, like- I guess like top three, what's the priority, do you think, at this moment? <laughs> I mean, we're starting to do this. We always need to do better at amplifying the voices of those who are experiencing food insecurity and those who do not necessarily have access to the resources that we do as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so I think we always need to continue on that path of community outreach and really making our spaces more welcoming to community members who might not have the nonprofit experience or educational experience that so many people who are, you know, traditionally around our table at meetings have. Um, I think that is absolutely crucial to this work. And we just have to do better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's great that, like, part of it is recognizing that and if you always have it in the back of your mind hopefully it'll be come to fruition and it sounds like that work is already being started so i'll just repeat my definition of sustainable food justice is equitable access to food that is culturally appropriate sustainably grown or sourced and helps afford people a good quality of life so hearing that if you could add or change anything about my definition of sustainable food justice, what would you do? Equitable access to food that is sustainably sourced, mm-hmm. culturally, culturally appropriate, appropriate, and helps afford people a good quality of life. And helps afford people a good quality of life. I think that's a pretty decent definition. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Can I read something? Sure. So the Food Equity Action Board, the FEB that I mm-hmm. talked about, In our last session, they wrote a community poem all about food justice. So so the prompt was, food justice is, Mm -hmm. and then everyone gave their line. Awesome. And it's in the the policy recommendation report that they created at the end, Mm -hmm. um, the six policy recommendations. On the last page, we included that poem. We talked so much about advocacy, but really Mm -hmm. they have, they do so much advocacy for their communities Mm. already that I learned so much Mm. from them. It was, they're great people. That's so cool. So can I read it? Of course. Okay. I love that. The following quote from Susan is, like she said, a poem from real people in Greenville who have experienced food insecurity. When I was speaking with her, I found it to be incredibly powerful and wanted to end the episode with the words from those closest to the issue. My conversation with Susan was fun, interesting, and most importantly, enlightening. What I learned from her is that one of the keys to the vision of sustainable food justice is collaboration. I think that LiveWell embodies the word collaboration. And while she did acknowledge the work that LiveWell can be doing to become more sustainable, the strides already being made are incredible. 
decentering yourself if you come from a place of privilege and centering the voices of those closest to the problem, letting them actually have the space and that voice to say, this is what we need. That's where real change starts. Like I mentioned before, the show notes include information on the food security index that the Shy Institute helped create. I've also linked information to Livewell Greenville, as well as the full report from the Food Equity Action Board, of which the poem comes from. I know that many listeners of Upstate Anecdotes come from privileged backgrounds, like myself, so I encourage you to really sit with the following words. Think about them deeply. What does food security mean to you? Have you ever thought about the fact that you are food secure? What is food justice? Food justice is waking up knowing I have something to eat. Food justice is justice. Food justice is life. Food justice is my right. Food equity is not a privilege. It's a minimum. Making a difference is hard on an empty stomach. Food justice is not about feeding the less fortunate. Food justice is feeding the children so we can grow a future. It's about feeding the elderly so we can harvest a better tomorrow. Food justice is no worries cooking for family gatherings. The smile on a mother's face when she sees her child fall into a contented food coma. Food justice is being able to have Sunday dinners with my family every week. Food justice is my son's independence, smile, and persistence. Food justice is free, filling, and multifaceted. Food justice is fresh, healthy food in every neighborhood. Communities growing their own food. Community not surviving, but thriving. Nourishment for all to thrive. Community stewardship. As the Liberty Bells ring, I hear justice speak. Justice for the food we hope to receive based on the things we as people need. Clinging to the idea of inequality being erased, we can no longer sit in silence when our fears are things we still face.